Welcome to the Buford Sermons Podcast, where we care about the things you care about. For more information or to donate to this ministry, please visit www.fbcbuford.org. Listen, you are a part of a church here that God is using incredibly to impact eternity through the lives of the next generation. And you need to know that. And you need to grab hold of that and be excited about that and be a part of it. Find ways you can serve. Find ways you can plug in and be a part of that. Uh, we're, we're meeting with some folks right now, some professionals who are better at using words than I am and uh, some of us are that are um, really helping us learn how we can better communicate to you guys and communicate to our community what we're doing and who we are and what we're about and we're doing that because we want to be able to clearly say to you this is who we are this is what we're doing and this is where you can plug in and serve and we want to be able to clearly say to our community this is who we are and this is what makes us unique and are distinctive, distinctives, and this is what makes us us different. And um, and so, as we learn to do that, you're going to see even more and more, and hear more and more opportunities of how you can connect and plug in and serve. But you need to know this. If you're a guest with us this morning, you know this. If you if you've been coming to this church for 50 years, 100 years, you need to know this. You are here this morning, inside of a church, a part of a church this morning that God is using in an incredible way. The gospel is going out to hundreds of families, literally hundreds of families across our community, across our city, because of your faithfulness to give, to be here, to pray, to serve, and be a part of that. And so church, thank you so much. I love that I get to get wet so many Sunday mornings baptizing over here, and uh, God's doing great things in your church. And so thank you so much, and thank you families and parents uh, like the crows for allowing us to be a part of it. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3 as we take a pause in our study through the book of Mark, and we're going to spend a few weeks in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, looking at this idea of the family gathering. And, and I just want to read beginning in, uh, to, just to begin today in verses 15 and 16. We're going to get to those verses in a couple of weeks, but I want to read those today because everything kind of we're saying the next couple of weeks are, are coming from, are kind of wrapping around uh, that passage of Scripture. Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul's writing in verse 15, he says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members, listen, as members of one body, you were called to peace. Writing to believers here, to the church in Colossae, listen, you were called to peace, and then he says, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We know that the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 25, that we're to not forsake assembling together as is the manner of some, but instead to gather together and to encourage or stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We know that God created us as relational human beings. He created us with this desire to gather with others. Now, some of you may say, Stephen, you don't understand how introverted I am. I have no desire to be around anybody ever. Well, that might be true in some sense that you might be an introvert and you might not love being in the middle of crowds as much as I love being in the middle of crowds. And that's okay. That just means you're more normal than me. But the reality is we all desire community somewhere and gathering somewhere. Jesus created us, or God created us that way when he created us 
in his image. And then uh, we broke our ability to have fellowship and relationship with God in our sin. And God cared so much that we had relationship with him that he sent Jesus to die on the cross with us. And he cared so much about relationship with us that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And then he cared so much about us having others to gather with that he used the apostles, the early uh, church leaders, to found the local church under the power of the Holy Spirit where believers would have others that they could gather with. Gathering is a big deal this season, isn't it? It's, it's a unique time every year in November and December where people gather together. When you hear family gathering, for some of you that might really excite you, that you look forward to gathering as a family and sitting around the dinner table and eating all the food and maybe even cooking some of the food and watching football and doing all of those things. For some of you, you may dread it, right? Gathering might mean you have to have awkward conversations with people who the only thing you have in common with is a last name, right? For some of us, it's, it's, it's so exciting. For some of us, it's stressful, but it's still just a part of our lives over the next couple of months. For some of us, it's been a part of our lives over the last few days, even. When I think of the word gather, I mean, one uh, less impressive moment was Emma had a birthday party yesterday afternoon that she wanted to go to with, uh, that she went to with one of her sixth grade friends, a girl that she's known and loved for a long time. And Aaron was leading our uh, high school girls, helping lead our high school girls at their retreat. So I was stuck taking Emma to this birthday party at the mall. These sixth grade girls, this was their idea of a birthday party, is that they were going to gather at the mall and they were going to walk through the mall and they were going to feel like they were grown. And so what happened was these girls gathered and they just walked through the mall. And then all of the sixth grade moms stood about for me to that wall, walked behind the girls so they could see what was happening. And they were still under their eye, but the girls felt like they were by themselves and grown walking through the mall until of course they wanted money. And then they would turn back and run to their mom. But I had a choice had three choices. One, I could awkwardly hang out with the sixth grade girls and my daughter. And that would have been weird and no fun for me. The other option is I could have walked with all of the moms behind the sixth grade girls. Once again, as much as I love being around people, that would have been really awkward for me. And then my third option was I just hang out in the mall by myself until they finish their little party. That's no fun for me, but that I felt like was the wisest decision. And so there I am in the mall by myself going, what am I going to do? I can't go into shoe stores because then I'll spend money that I don't need to spend because I just spent a lot of money celebrating a Braves World Series. Go Braves, right? I, I, I don't want to just sit in the food court. One of my options in my mind was to just walk circles in the food court and get as many samples as I could until I was full because that's what you do. So I said, I don't know. So I walk upstairs and there's that place, that really weird place that doesn't make sense. That's got these tanks of fish sitting at the bottom of these seats. These seats don't even have backs on them. They should, but they don't. And I know they should because my idea of fun, why my daughter was walking around the mall was 
I can kill 25 minutes. I knew I could kill 25 minutes because I walked up to this sweet lady standing outside of this store with these fish swimming around in these tanks. And I said, what is happening here? And she goes, for $30, you can get 25 minutes and find out. I said, sure, let's go. And so she walked me in and she said, sit right here, take off your socks and shoes, pull up your pants and stick your feet in the tank with all the fish. And so there I sat with my pants pulled up to my knees, my socks and shoes off, and my feet in this tank full of these little bitty fish. I said, what does it do? She gave me some answer that I don't believe, but it feels like bubbles, she said. And it kind of did. So I'm sitting and these fish are gathering around my feet. I didn't know if I should be offended because the fish so quickly went to my feet or if I should feel like it was working better because they, but they're swimming around my feet. True story, if this grosses you out, Chad, I apologize. One of the workers comes over and she's like, man, you got to move your toes around. Let them get between there. I thought that's just really, really weird. (laughs) So strange. But here's the best part. Where she sat me was right next to the giant window. Emma's friends had this great idea. They were killing time too. Let's go in pet land and play with the puppies. And so I'm just sitting there minding my own business. And here comes Evie Lucia, one of Emma's friends, standing like as close to the window as she can, staring at me. I looked outside and I saw my, my mortified sixth grade daughter as her dad has all of these fish gathering around his feet. It was awesome. I don't even know why I told that story other than if you do something like that and you're a pastor, you have to tell the story on Sunday morning. But then Thursday, we spent the night down at the battery and on Friday, we gathered with a lot of people. We spent the night at the Omni Aaron and I did and a bunch of folks from Buford and there were about 20 of us that went to dinner that night. It was empty on Thursday night. It was awesome. Friday morning, I can't sleep in hotel rooms very well. So I woke up early, 7.15. I was walking around the battery trying to find the route that the parade was going to come down celebrating the Braves World Series in case you've been living under a rock and don't know anything about that. But I'm trying to find the best route that is coming down and and where I can set up. If I'm going to pay money for a hotel room, I'm going to make sure that my feet are on the curb and my kids' feet are on the curb. And so I finally kind of figured out the route at eight o'clock I had gone back into my room and apparently raised my voice in excitement yelling to my wife and my kids that they needed to get up and get ready and get out the door because this parade was coming at three o'clock or at two o'clock and at eight o'clock in the morning they needed to be ready for it and so they kind of fumbled around and finally got ready and by eight o'clock I was standing behind the barricade with my feet as close to the parade as they could get and I stood there in that same spot from eight o'clock that morning until the parade ended. It was a blast. Justin and Kimberly Woods brought me one Kentucky Fried Chicken Biscuit and a chicken strip and I was so thankful for it. That was all I had to eat all day. But it was a blast, all these people gathering. And then all of a sudden the parade ended and there was no plan. And if you were down there, you saw madness. You couldn't move. There were tears. There were kids crying. There were adults crying. There was a 50-year-old couple standing up on a ledge against to a wall making out for the whole world to see. Like it was just such a strange day. But I stood there from 8 o'clock in the morning until about 3 o'clock that afternoon before we finally fought our way back to the hotel and got into the stadium. And I thought, man, what a gathering of people gathered around this one idea that the Braves are this one fact that the Braves won the World Series. 
I knew what I was preaching this morning and I thought we're about to spend two months gathering and parties and family. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells us what our gathering should look like and why it's important. Listen, why it's important to make a priority in in our lives gathering with like-minded people who love and follow Jesus. He gives us a picture of that in verses 15 and 16 that we just read, but then verses 1 through 11, he gives us a picture of gathering as a family. When we gather as a family, what does it look like? And what are some some images that should be present? What are some ideas that should stand out when we gather as a family? What are some things that allow us to gather as a family? Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Listen, if you've trusted Christ, you've been raised with him. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul is writing here and he encourages in verses 15 and 16, he encourages us to be thankful that we're members of one body, that we're to teach and admonish one another, that we're to gather as followers of Jesus. Listen to me. I'm so thankful for our digital footprint. I'm so thankful that churches are able to to in some way meet online and people are able to hear God's word and, and get to at least watch worship and be a part of that. But hear me and hear me clearly. We will always say here at Buford that God created us and designed us with a need to gather and that he established a local church not so that we could see each other through a screen but so that we could gather together as a family and worship and encourage one another and do it together under the same roof, in the same room, with people who love Jesus and are seeking to serve the same purpose. And in understanding that, we know that when we gather in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells us that when we gather as a family in verses 1 through 2 and really all the way through verse 4, that we gather with a family mindset. When we gather as a family, we come in together with a family mindset. Here's the cool part about this Braves parade that I went to on Friday morning. I looked across the parade. I'm standing there, and for most of the day, it really wasn't that crazy. People were kind of starting to line up, but it wasn't that crazy. And then the parade started, and there are thousands of people just pushing on you. Eventually, at the end, tens of thousands of people. And you know what? We really didn't see anything crazy. Like, there wasn't people fighting. I mean, we got feisty a little bit sometimes. Some dude tried to tell me that that he had been standing there since 9.30 that morning and I was like, nope, brother, I've been standing here since 8 o'clock and I didn't see you till 11. Back up a little bit. But everybody was okay and we all survived. And I looked around and listen, there were white people and there were black people. There were people who spoke English and there were people who spoke Spanish and probably people who spoke other languages that I didn't pick up on and understand. There were people who looked, you looked at and you thought, man, they probably got a lot of money and there were people who probably didn't have a lot of money. There were people who were 
diehard baseball people and there were people who were asking who Dansby Swanson was while he rode by in the parade. There were all kinds of different people. There were pretty people and there were not so pretty people. Even in this setting, and listen, this is not me encouraging this at all, but this is just a reality of the decision or of the setting. There were people uh, who, were, uh, who, who had um, received a lot of liquid encouragement throughout the day and there were people who had received no liquid encouragement and out throughout the day. It was just this wide array of people. And yet they were all able to gather a million people in this really small space, even pushing through the crowd after it was over with very little drama, with very little argument or fighting. Why? Because they were there for one purpose. They all had the same mindset. The Braves won the World Series, and we just want to be a part of it. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3 that when we repent of our sin, as sweet Abby has done, and we trust Jesus, and Jesus, as she said so well, is present in our lives. Listen, he says, have one mindset. You put the things that make you different behind you, and you focus on the Jesus who died for you. Have this mindset. You set your heart on things above, your mind on things above, and not on earthly things. Because when you trust Jesus, you've died to those things, and you've become a part of his family. Growing up in Columbus, Georgia, I grew up with a large family there. It was just me and my brother and my immediate family. But my dad has three brothers and a sister. There were five of them. And then my dad has a bunch of first cousins who I called aunts and uncles as well. And so everywhere you turned in Columbus, Georgia, Phoenix City, Alabama, when I was growing up, they all stayed there. And we all were raised there. Me and all of my cousins, first and second and third cousins, were all raised there. And so everywhere you turned, there was a fountain or somebody directly connected to the fountains. And we were very different, many of us. But it was really cool to see. We loved gathering as a family. Our favorite thing to do was our favorite season. My favorite season was always November and December, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it was Christmas, obviously, because when Jesus was born. And that was the number one priority in our family's life. But we loved gathering together. I'll never forget when I first started taking Erin to these gatherings, it was a little scary for her. Because when the fountains would gather in Columbus, uh, Phoenix City, out in Harris County, just uh, outside of Columbus, kind of in the, what they called the country down there. When they gathered, there were three things that were always present. There were guitars, gospel music, and guns. And the, one of the first times that we showed up at my Uncle Jerry's, Erin opens the car door and I open the car door at the same time. And all of a sudden you heard about five shots go off and it sounded like they were very close and you could peek around the building and you could see he has some property and all of my crazy cousins and my uncles and my aunt and some of the other ladies were out there shooting any kind of gun you could imagine. And it was just what they did. Aaron's family is far more normal than ours. She never experienced that at a family Thanksgiving or Christmas gathering. But we would gather together. But we learned at a young age that there was one mindset that our family had. My family was 
a broken family for many, many years. My dad's family, my grandparents' family before Christ came in and changed their life. They were poor. They didn't have much. They were in and out of all the different government housing projects in Columbus. God changed their life. They were still poor after God changed their lives, but they lived with such great stability. And they really taught all of us how to love people. And our mindset really became when we would gather together, that we would gather on Thanksgiving and Christmas with the purpose of loving one another, but of loving people. This is how we did that. Every time my family would gather for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, you would walk into my, one of my uncle's house or my grandmother's little house. And every single year for all of my life, I would walk in and see people that I had no idea who they were. No idea who they were. Aaron would ask, who is that? I don't know, baby. Why are they here? Well, because somebody invited them. Why did somebody invite them? I don't know, a myriad of reasons. And what we learned when we were kids was my dad and my granny Fountain, my granddad died before I was born. And his brothers, my dad's brothers and my dad's sister grew up not having much. And so every year when we were getting ready to gather as a family, they cared so much about loving people that they would find people who they felt needed to come gather with us. And so they would see random people. Somebody would show up, for the, show up at church for the first time and they would realize they moved from out of town and they would say, hey, our family's getting together for Thanksgiving. Come join us. And they would look at them like they were weird. And my Uncle Mike, who's with Jesus now, would grab them by the ears, kiss them on the forehead and say, you don't have a choice. Come join us. And all of these people would show up to our family gatherings. We didn't know who they were. Here's what we learned, though. And I learned it from such a young age from my family that by the time I was 14, 15, 16 years old, it, it, I didn't even think about it. I thought everybody functioned this way. We learned that if somebody was in that group, in that home, if they were sitting in the spot on my granny's couch that I wanted to sit, if they had taken the last piece of my Aunt Lisa's Hershey bar pie that I loved so much when I was a kid, if they had eaten the last cut of my mom's dressing that she brought because my Granny Wilkes' dressing wasn't very good, and I didn't get to get my mom's dressing, if they had eaten the last of the cream corn, if the crock pot of country's barbecue Brunswick stew was gone because they were there, we just dealt with it and smiled because here's what we knew. Those people showed up because somebody in my family loved them enough to invite them. And our mindset was, we were created and placed in that community to love God and to love people. And that's just what we did. If that's the case in my family, how much more should that be true of the family of God? Of the Buford family in this church? Listen. Our mindset is that we love Jesus and we focus on the things of God and the people that God created and that God has placed us in the middle of for us to love and point to who Jesus is. We take the things of the world and we don't think on those things. We think on the things of God. That's the priority in our life. That's the, uh, the, that's the truths we follow. That's the steps we take. This is the word that matters to us. 
When we gather as a family, we gather with people who have common interest in a common direction. And the one common interest and the one common direction that we have in this family is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So we care. And when we do that, listen, when we gather in that way, young and old, we can gather together. Rich and poor, we can gather together. Black and white, we can gather together. Athletic and artsy, we can gather together. But we do it with a mindset. A mindset on the things of the Lord. When I gather, I gather with a family mindset. But when I gather as a family, I also gather with family memories. Look at verses 3 through 8. I'm going to go quickly through this, so you've got to listen fast. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then what he, listen to what he says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. What is Paul telling the people there in in Colossae? He's telling them this. Listen, you used to live this way. Here's the memories that are behind you. You used to be people who were full of immorality. You used to be people who were, who were full of greed and slander and malice. You used to be people who were angry. You used to be people who walked according to your flesh. But now you've met Jesus, the one who took your sin upon his shoulders and died on a cross for you. The one who defeated death, hell, the grave, and your sin by coming back to life and raising from the dead. You've met Jesus. And now that you've met Jesus, Jesus, you have these memories. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is we don't want you to live in those memories. I don't want you to go to sleep at night and dream about the things you used to do. I don't want you to lay your head on your pillow at night and not be able to go to sleep because of the experiences that you walked through at one point in your life. But by the Apostle Paul pointing out all of these, these traits that marked these people's lives, these traits that have marked your lives. What he's doing is this. He's pointing us to the memory of the incredible power and forgiveness and love of a loving Savior who gave his life for us. And when we gather as a family, we gather with family memories. What's that mean, Stephen? We gather with stories of forgiveness. We gather with stories of repentance. We gather with stories of restoration. We gather with stories of God miraculously doing a great work in our lives. When you gathered at a fountain gathering in between the guns and the guitars and the singing, there was actually a mix of gospel singing and then like old southern rock. The southern rock was really funny because it was like southern rock meets southern gospel and didn't always make sense, but they just would gather around and sing. And then it never failed that somebody would tar- start telling stories. Telling stories of growing up in Wilson and Peabody Apartments in Columbus. Of when my granddad finally gave his life to Jesus and could finally hold a 
steady job. His body was already failing, but he could finally hold a steady job. They were still poor, but they were able to move to the big mill town of Bibb City in Columbus. How they thought that was such a big deal. Telling stories of before my granddad met Jesus, or maybe after he did and he wasn't quite there as a follower of Christ yet, like a growing, wasn't quite there where he should be. A neighbor having a satellite on the top of their building and that satellite interfering with my granddaddy Fountain's reception in his house and him taking his pistol outside and shooting it off the roof. Stories of sometimes their fights that they got in often. But then hearing the stories of where God brought them. Stories of God's mercy and forgiveness. Stories of God protecting a marriage that should have been broken long before in my grandparents. Stories of God turning my Uncle Mike from an alcoholic fighter into one of the most generous, caring, and loving guys you've ever met in your life. Stories of that same granddad who shot antenna off of his neighbor's roof, then standing in pulpits and proclaiming the incredible grace and mercy and love of my sweet Jesus. The memories of how God took our family Sometimes I tell people I'm a third generation preacher and I am. My granddad preached before he died. My dad, my brother's a pastor, a preacher. My cousin's a worship pastor in South Georgia. My other cousin's a pastor in Columbus area. There are fountains all over the place. And sometimes you can get this picture of like Stephen's family is this. They were just a bunch of good church people. And the folks in Columbus and Phoenix City know that it's so far from the truth. What are we? We're a bunch of people who were full of anger, who were full of immorality, who were full of greed, who were full of malice, and who God transformed our hearts. Listen, you know one of the cool part? When you gather with this family here and you make it a priority, every single week, you gather with some of the most miraculous stories you'll ever hear. The mom and dad whose heart was broken and ripped from their chest, who God's now using to glorify his name and impact eternity by pointing others to who he is. The husband and wife whose marriage was failing on the brink of not only divorce, but of just gross separation. And God supernaturally restored you sit in the room with the story of addicts who were enslaved to the feeling they got when they put something in their body and now they serve Jesus and serve him well. You sit in a room of quiet stories, stories that we don't all know. Mom and dads who are struggling with their kids. Teenagers who are dealing with anxiety and issues that are greater than anything you could imagine. 
but whose parents are praying for them and just leaning in to the power, the real, felt, known power of Jesus. You sit with stories of pastors who come close to breaking points and have to go see counselors like the rest of you who wake up every day with wives who pray for them and kids who pray for them and parents who pray for them and people in our church who pray for them and you get to serve the Lord with power and effectiveness and impact eternity you gather with family memories not family memories that sit in the mess, but family memories that remember the grace and mercy and love and power of a holy God. That's why you gather here. Listen to me. I don't know if the screen got fixed online, if some of you are hanging in and just listen, the audio is good enough, you don't want to see me anyway. Listen, you cannot get that from a phone or a computer screen. You cannot get that from showing up once every six months. You only get that when you gather as a family. When you connect to a group. When you meet people in the hallway. When God supernaturally places somebody next to you in the worship space who needs your encouragement or you need theirs. Part of gathering, it's hearing God's word and it's singing the songs but it's know you're in a place that cares about you and that you're gathering with stories of the miraculous work of a holy God. When I gather as a family, we gather with the same mindset. We gather with family memories and then we're done in verses 9 through 11. When we gather, we get to be a part of this family membership that is so unique. Verses 9 through 11 says, don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian or Scythian. There's no slave. There's no free. But Christ is all and is in all. When you make it a priority, to gather with other believers. You become, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, repented of your sin and trusted in him, and then you connect to the local church to gather with other believers, you become a member of a family. And it's a special family. It's a family that functions in honesty. It says, don't lie to one another. Speak truth to one another. In holiness, don't lie to one another. It says you've taken your old self off and put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of us, its creator. We gather in honesty and holiness and humility. There is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no hierarchy, no more important, less important. We gather as a family. And as a family... We do life together and we encourage one another and we fill a hole that God placed within us. 
you know one of the hard things for the local church in today's culture? Most people in today's culture will tell you that they greatly need and greatly desire community. That family feeling, either, even from those outside of their own blood. And what's happened in our culture is, and you've experienced this, some of you, we found that community in everything except for the people of God. Right? We find that community in our travel ball teams. We find that community in our gyms. One of the gyms I go to. Man, they create a community there, a family feeling there that's incredible. We find that community in all of these places in our school system. But can I tell you something about the community you find in everything apart from the people of God? And this is true, whether you acknowledge it or recognize it or not. That community is circumstantial. It is based upon... It is based upon like preferences, similar abilities, similar social status, similar financial status, right? Community is found at the gym. Why? Because people like going to the gym and can afford to pay pay for the gym. But you know what happens? Maybe this is just my story. When your back starts hurting and you realize you're too old to do all the things they do and you miss for a couple of weeks... And then you say, I'm going to get back into it. And you think going once every three weeks actually does any good. And you realize all it does is make you hurt more. All of a sudden, that community is gone because the thing you had in common with that community is no longer there. Isn't it true? You found community on this travel ball team. And then all of a sudden, you don't like something the coach did. Or maybe you realize you're better than the other ones that you're playing with. Or maybe you realize your kid's not as good as the other ones that you're playing with. And maybe that travel team breaks up. And all of a sudden, these people that were your best friends who you spend every day with seven days a week because you're crazy and you think you should be playing some sport seven days a week or two sports seven days a week and you're absolutely lost your mind. All of a sudden, you realize your family needs a break or it just doesn't work anymore. The team splits up. And those people who you spent every waking hour with almost, now you might see once every eight months. Maybe that's just my story. What happens is all the other places we find community, and those things aren't bad. It's come from a guy, my, my daughter cheers. My son plays baseball. We're fighting back against it, looking like everybody else, but it's called a travel team. It scares me. Listen. Those things are good. And if you're a believer, you should connect to those places with the purpose of reaching those people for Jesus. If you're connecting to those those places for the purpose of finding your community there, you're wrong. Do you hear me? My wife tells me I shouldn't say people are wrong from up here. And I try not to because I love you so much and you are some of my best friends in the world. But if you connect to those places for the purpose of finding community there, you're getting it wrong. This is so hard to understand. The only place where we can find family community that is not circumstantial or based purely on our ability or our likes is the family of God. 
Because the community and the family that you find here is based upon one thing and one thing alone. And that is that Jesus came, that Jesus loves, that Jesus bled, that Jesus died, and that now Jesus lives. And if my family is wrapped around that, then whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white, whether you're good looking or you're ugly, whether you're old or you're young, you are my family. And we care about you simply because Jesus died. And that's enough. That's what you're telling us, Stephen. I'm telling you that this season challenging you, I'm encouraging you that this season when we gather with everybody else what if here at Buford we made the decision that we were going to make a priority gathering with our family you're a guest with us this morning, you know the cool part about it, we want you to be a part of our family too and that starts with acknowledging that Jesus died for you you're a broken sinner. You're all the things Paul described in here. I'm not sexually immoral. Your mind was, might be. I'm not impure. Sure you are. I'm not angry. Do you remember that conversation you had with your spouse last night? That you're a broken sinner. But that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He came back to life. And today, if you haven't done so, he calls you to repent of your sin, to trust in him, and to follow him. And he wants to use your story, not for you to stay standing in your mess, but for him to pick you out of it and to place your feet on solid ground as a child of the king so that he can use your story of anxiety, so that he can use your story of heartache, so that he can use your story of mourning, so that he can use your story of gross sin, so that he can use your story of addiction, so that he can use your story of selfishness, so that he can use your story of being an angry dad, so that he can use your story of being an unfaithful spouse, so that he can use your story that points to the grace and mercy and love and restoration of a holy God so that he can use it to impact eternity. And the only way your story can be used to impact eternity is if you repent of your sin, trust in Jesus, and then hear this next part. This next part is so true, and our culture doesn't get it, but it is so true. The only way your story can be used the way God desires your story to be used is if you connect it to a family, a local body of believers, and through that local body of believers that God has designed and put in place to reach the world, to be the instrument to reach the world of God, the, the world with the gospel of Christ Jesus. If you connect your story to that local body of believers, you plug in, you serve, you be a part of that family, you gather with that family, it's then that God uses your story in a way that's far greater than anything you could ever imagine. But it's not until then that God uses your story in the way that God desires to use your story. You've got to be a part of the family. The family that cares. Because Jesus died. Some of you this morning need to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ. You need to acknowledge you're broken and you need a savior. If that's you, we'd be happy to talk to you. I'll be hanging out up here during worship. Liliana's singing one of my favorite songs. And so I'm going to be right here until it ends because I want to worship alongside of you. Don't go nowhere yet. 
I'd be happy to talk to you. We'll have pastors in the back that'd be happy to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. I said, I don't want to talk to anybody this morning, Stephen. I get it. Culture's weird now, and we kind of just want to go our way. You can text that word, Buford Info, to that number, 97,000. You can follow the prompts. I need to trust in Jesus. If that's you, you do that. Some of you need to be a, become a part of our church. You've been coming. I know we don't give this invitation all the time. We probably should more. But you need to officially become a part of this family. You've trusted Christ. You've been baptized. You just need to become a part of our family. You can text that word, Buford Info, to 97,000. There's a prompt. Become a part of... It's like join First Baptist Buford or become a member or something like that. I don't even know what it says. But you can follow that prompt. Maybe you've trusted Christ, but you've never been baptized. You've seen all these kids and some of these other adults do it in the last few weeks. And you know that you need to take that step of obedience. Follow the example that Jesus followed. Obey the Great Commission. God calls us to make disciples, to baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Lord, and the, Holy, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you commit to do that this morning? And some of you need to do this. Listen to me. Some of you today need to commit. I'm going to make it a priority to gather with my family. So Stephen, this isn't my family yet. If you're here this morning, I already count you as family. Would you gather with us? Become officially a part of us through God working in your life. But you just start making a commitment to be here. I love it. 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock this morning in both services, I looked out and I saw two separate families. They run the travel ball world. You know what? Almost every Sunday morning, they're gathering with a body of believers worshiping. You know why? Because they've decided this is the priority. I might have to miss occasionally. If I got 11 o'clock practice, I'm coming at 9. If I got a 9 o'clock game and can get here at 11 in my uniform, I'm coming at 11. Because gathering with the family is a big deal. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. You do whatever God's calling you to do. God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come to this place. Help us be obedient to you as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We hope that you have been blessed and challenged by this message. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want to know more about how to follow Jesus, please check us out at fbcbuford.org.